Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio, and we have a great show lined up for you today. Um, as you know, if you're a regular listener, we alternate between things political, things ethical, things musical, things theatrical, and um, we've been kind of on a musical um, bandwidth lately. Last week, we had Sophie B. Hawkins, um, great, great conversation, um, and we're going to continue bringing you great music this week uh, with um, a band that now hails from Portland, Oregon. Uh, they are called Glitter Fox. They are amazing. Um, they've uh, well, I, I actually have a history there with them, which I'll talk about in a little in a few minutes. But um, they started out in Long Beach, um, lived for their for a while in their band on the road, and a lot of their music reflects that being on the road and kind of the insights of um, that kind of freedom. Um, but they are now located in Portland where they have taken the world on by storm. And I'll give you a quote. Glitter Fox is one of the most successful Portland bands of the pandemic era. By blending Americana and rock into an indie folk cocktail, they have created a singular sound that can both rouse and soothe as fans of their ferociously emotional EP, Night Can Attest. So there's, there's a quote and um, shows you how established they are in the Portland scene. Um, we also have today um, their current single, which is called Drive, and we'll play that for you. But also, we get to premiere their next song, which is not released yet, so you can hear it here first. And it is called TV. Um, it has is um, an emotionally deep song um, on the part of the songwriter, um, of which one of of Glitter Fox is. Um, and we'll we'll get some of the background behind that. But um, both are incredible pieces of work, and we can't wait to talk to them. First, however, we are going to the co-host of the show, Brody Lebeck. Brody is also the editor-in-chief of the Los Angeles Blade magazine. Um, he is going to bring us today our latest news, of which there is a bit going on in the world. Welcome, Brody. What's going on? Hey, Rob, and good morning, good afternoon, good day to all of our listeners. Thank you again for subscribing to our podcast and listening to us every week. We really appreciate it. Uh, just a couple of quick notes. Yesterday, of course, was National Coming Out Day, which was noted by the White House in a statement, not only by the openly black lesbian White House press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, but also the president of the United States as well. Um, News-wise, there's a few things going on. Uh, Lambda Legal today filed a suit in North Carolina with the U.S. District Court on behalf of a nine-year-old transgender youth and his parents. Uh, they are uh, joined in the suit uh, by a physician uh, at the University of North Carolina Healthcare Center uh, 
at the clinic that uh, would treat trans kids in the state until the health care ban took effect. Um, so at this point, uh, it's now in federal court. The suit, according to Lambda Legal, which is lead counsel on it, uh, this law violates the Equal Protection Clause. It discriminates against transgender adolescents and their parents. It discriminates on basis of sex and transgender status. Uh, and then it fundamentally uh, abrogates the right to make decisions concerning care, uh, gender-affirming care, and other things for trans kids and their parents. So that was filed actually earlier today uh, in U.S. District Court in Durham, North Carolina. Um, while we're on the court circuit, Yesterday, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals in Atlanta, uh, which is responsible for Georgia, Florida, and Alabama, upheld a ruling by a lower court and essentially overturned Florida's drag ban uh, law, saying the appellate court said, no, you cannot enforce this statewide in any way, shape, form, or otherwise. The initial suit uh, had been brought by uh, Hamburger Mary's, which is a famous uh, venue and a place for drag uh, brunches in Orlando. Um, And it's been targeted by the DeSantis administration uh, for quite a while. It's been targeted by our least favorite Mons for Liberty types. It's been targeted by the right. It's just been a hot mess. It was initially... Hamburger Mary's have brought forward the suit. However, the suit was joined by other venues, uh, including some prides and others. Um, the 11th Circuit in blocking and basically upholding the lower court block on it, uh, cited specifically uh, Ashcraft versus ACLU, uh, basically saying that the problem with the drag ban was that it did, in fact, okay, unconstitutionally implement a ban stifling free speech uh, and that, you know, the state law just couldn't go to places that needed to go with that. This was a surprising decision because the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals is a very conservative court, and it and the 5th U.S. Circuit in neighboring New Orleans, Louisiana, are known for handing down decisions that are actually quite negative in their impact uh, to our community. So this is a bit of a surprise, but uh, we applaud the fact that the uh, 11th Circuit uh, understood the argument about free speech. Thank you very much. Uh, Have a nice day. Um, The other thing that I wanted to know um, is that uh, the battle over House Speaker is continuing this is important to our community for any number of reasons. Uh, however, the current GOP selection for Speaker Scalise doesn't look like he's got the votes to do it. There is now almost open civil war among the Republican caucus. Um, Scalise is someone actually our community really doesn't want. He has got a 15-year track record of being anti-gay, anti-queer, anti-anti-anti all the way through his congressional career. So he's no friend. Uh, Jim Jordan, on the other hand, not any better. Uh, Of course, the problem with this fight is that this is going to probably bleed over uh, into some critical areas, which has got the White House concerned and also has others concerned. Because without a speaker, legislation can't be moved to the floor, which means no appropriations bills, 
That is going to impact aid to Ukraine. It is going to definitely aid, be a hindrance for getting any kind of appropriations of money uh, during the Israeli Hamas fight. It is going to impact other programs that are needing federal funding, including FEMA, which is recovering from two wildfire incidences. FEMA is almost out of money. And then, of course, we're 30 days down from having a potential shutdown of the federal government over a fight uh, on funding issues and a bunch of other things. So with the speakership in doubt, and the last time in January, Rob, if you'll remember, that went on for, what, 15 rounds over a week right. before, McCar- <laughs> before McCarthy got it. This one's going to get even bloodier. So basically, most of us are watching this going, yeah, this one's not going to turn out good. Um, so, so I have a question for you, Brody. I have a question sure. on that. Why can't the Democrats um, nominate somebody or pull somebody up who, out of the Republican caucus that is you know, the most moderate and band with the moderate Republicans, of which I think there are like 15, and put a speaker in place? That is some of the discussions going on. I had some uh, conversations with sources in the Democratic caucus uh, earlier today. The Democrats obviously are unified in their nomination of minority leader Hucking Jeffries of New York. Uh, right. But, of course, the Republicans obviously aren't going to go for that. Um, the, the basic attitude with the Democrats right now, and that means everybody from the White House to the Senate, um, is essentially the old cliche of let them kill each other and let God sort it out. Uh, and that's kind of really honestly what's going on. Um, the infighting is horrific. Uh, there is so much fraction in the conference. Uh, and at the end of the day, this really, really, really illustrates uh, to anybody with a sense of clarity or common sense, why the Republicans are not fit to govern, let alone get elected to any form of office at any right. level. Right. This, this is right. it right here. So, And finally, on a yeah. more personal note, 25 years ago today, at about roughly 1 o'clock in the morning, I was freezing my butt off along with another group of cadre of journalists at the Pudro uh, Pudro Valley Hospital in Fort Collins, Colorado. And the reason we were there was because six days previously, a 21-year-old freshman at the University of Wyoming at Laramie uh, had been pistol-whipped so badly uh, and left literally tied to a fence on a prairie, uh, they had to airlift him uh, to the closest triage center that could handle the severity of of his in- injuries, which happened to be uh, Poudre Valley, which is attached to Colorado State University system. Um, but he didn't make it. And uh, the case had already reached a crescendo in the press. The kid's friend of the Rainbow Club at the University of Wyoming got on the phone and started working the phones. And this is, of course, in the days while the Internet was, quite frankly, in a nascent state not as fully developed. It was in the day before smartphones. Uh, it was certainly in the days long before Twitter was even thought of. Uh, and these kids, and I have met, interviewed, and actually know several of them, uh, they raised a stink. And they got those of us in the national media, uh, which is where I was working at the time, involved. 
um, and they got GLAD involved uh, and also the Human Rights Campaign. So it was a collective, you know, effort because this kid was literally beaten because he was gay. You know, he was he was set up at a place called the Fireplace Lounge in Laramie. Uh, he thought he was probably going for a hookup. And, yeah, that didn't work out too well. That 21-year-old uh, student's name is Matthew Shepard. And I had, in the intervening years, uh, having covered the case extensively at length on the ground in Laramie uh, several times, including going uh, to the funeral in Casper, doing the trial, and then, of course, getting to know uh, his parents, who are amazing human beings, uh, on what would have been Matt's 22nd birthday, which was a few months after he passed away, Judy and Dennis Shepard set up the Matthew Shepard Foundation in Denver uh, with the mission of erasing hate so that there would be some sort of way to continue messaging to hopefully prevent um, anything like what happened to their son from taking place again. Uh, Judy and Dennis didn't stop there. They also pushed very hard uh, with the family of James uh, Beard, a young Texas black man who was literally chained by the neck to the back of a pickup truck and dragged through a Texas backcountry road until he died because of the white supremacists behind the wheel. Uh, and so the shepherds got together with the Bird family um, and a whole bunch of host of government agencies and everything else. And they, they put together what's known as the Matthew Shepard James C. Bird Hate Crimes Act, which was later signed by then President Barack Obama to put hate crimes for the first time uh, on the federal statutes, because up until that time, there was no federal law about hate crimes. Uh, even after the United States had gone through everything to the civil rights movement, there still wasn't any federal statute. And so they got that passed. Judy uh, and Dennis both have logged literally, by at this point, probably over 25 years, I would say safely millions of miles traveling to colleges, to high schools, uh, to conventions, you know, to meetings, uh, everywhere from Capitol Hill testimony to the White House and anywhere in between with the message uh, of trying to prevent what happened to their son from, you know, from happening. Um, you know, people have often said, and I've asked Judy this a few times, but it, it's just like, what was it that made you decide not to do what would have been the natural reaction, which is kind of folding up your tent and quietly disappearing after the horrific crime against your kid? Um, and Judy's quiet answer uh, has always stuck with, and that was, well, you see, Brody, okay, this is what Matthew would have wanted. And Matt was the one that I want to make sure people get to understand how he was. And that's what she's done uh, ever since. Um, the type of people that Judy and Dennis are are probably best illustrated uh, by what happened at the trial of the two killers uh, in Laramie. Um, the shepherds intentionally went to the prosecutors uh, and took the death penalty off the table. Uh, the two idiots will spend the rest of their natural lives in prisons, which is fine, but the shepherds spared their lives. Um, and like I said, in the intervening years, um, Judy and Dennis, uh, Matt's younger brother, Logan, and his wife uh, have done an amazing job, not just only with the Shepherd Foundation, 
but also in getting the message out there. And it's such an important message. Um, and I think it's something that, you know, here we are at the quarter of a century mark uh, that we need to remember that beyond what happened to Matt, I think also people need to understand uh, that, you know, Matthew was also a son, a friend, a human being. He was flawed. He was like somebody else, okay? But he was earnest in his humanity. I've heard that repeatedly from his closest friends. I've heard it from his parents. And I think as a journalist and someone who has not only covered the story for as long as I have, but also has gotten to intimately know all the participants in the story, that's probably the most important thing. You know, Matt Shepard is more than just an icon of our community, okay? A few years ago, uh, a young lady who went to school at the American School in Switzerland uh, with Matt uh, did a documentary film. Matt Shepard is a friend of mine, and I got to know her. Uh, as a matter of fact, Michelle was a guest on uh, one of the shows I believe you were doing at the time uh, out in Santa Cruz. And the thing about, you know, Matthew that Michelle really wanted to kind of nail down, and I think she did wonderfully uh, in the film, which was released, uh, I believe, 2016 or 2015, I'm sorry, 2015, uh, was the essence of Matt's humanity and who he really was as a person. And a lot of that was based, uh, you know, on Matt's journals. He was a journaler, uh, the way he, he looked at things. Matt really was a gentle, uh, a gentle soul who wanted to be friends with everybody. I, I talked to Romy Patterson, uh, who was a dear friend of Matt's and uh, was at the time was living in Denver, working in a, I believe you'd call it a bistro. Uh, and Matt would literally drag almost people in off the streets of Denver, buy him coffee, get him something to eat, and just talk to him. You know, that was the type of human connection that Matt Shepard had. Um, anyway, the story of the documentary film was Matt Shepard uh, is a friend of mine. And we had this thing for the premiere at the Washington National Cathedral, which ironically is now where Matthew is in at. His ashes are in uh, a niche there at the cathedral. Um, and everybody was wearing his name tags. As, uh, my name is, and Matt Shepard is a friend of mine. And that's pretty much the way I've looked at it ever since. Um, you know, from that night, my name is Brody Levesque and Matt Shepard is a friend of mine. Okay. Thank you, Brody. And now we want to transition over to our guest today. Um, and, uh, I'm happy and thrilled to bring on the show, uh, Andrea and Solange, uh, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Hey. Yeah, thanks for having us, Rob. Um, uh, my pleasure. I don't know if you guys know or remember this, but I have met you guys twice before. Um, you played Santa Cruz Pride um, on two successive years, and I was the first year you played, I was um, on stage doing activist interviews, and met you guys then. And then the next year I was in charge of entertainment and had to have you back because you guys owned the crowd of Santa Cruz <laughs> when you played. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it, it is a thrill to t 
talk to you guys again and hear what's been going on since then. I remember, oh, I remember that. Uh, and also, yeah, Santa Cruz Pride. Yeah, we got to do it two years, and it was amazing and just, like, such a great crowd. But, uh, yeah, I, I, like, very big – I remember meeting you. I remember the interviews on the stage. Yeah, yeah, it's coming back to me. So that's so neat <laughs> yeah, to have that right. connection. Oh, yeah, it was, it was, I was thrilled when, when I saw the stuff come across on you guys. It was going – it was funny because at first it was like glitter fox. I know glitter fox. How do I know glitter fox? And it's like, and then I put it together and it was like, oh yeah. So um, you have great music cool. is coming out. You guys are um, amazing. Uh, it, it's like I love uh, Solange. I love your voice in particular. Your vocals are just like perfection. Um, Thank you so much. I've got a couple of songs lined up. Um, do you mind if I go ahead and play Drive right now so everybody can get a sample sure. of your current hit? Okay, let me let me tune that yeah. up. Um, is there anything you want to say about Drive before we we launch into it? Well, it's pretty wild, sure. I can and I can keep it brief too. Uh, it was interesting that Brody mentioned North Carolina and what was going on over there because. Um, that's, that's where I'm from. I'm from North Carolina and growing up, uh, there in the eighties and the nineties and realizing from like a really young age that I was gay, uh, was really hard and really isolating and really stressful. And so that's actually what the song drive is about. It's about like me growing up in North Carolina as this gay kid with, uh, you know, just so completely isolated with this big secret that I feel like I can't tell anyone and mm-hmm. just honestly just dreaming about the day when um, when I'd be able to get out of there. And I am sure right now you are speaking for a lot of kids in that area and, and the whole South. So uh, without further ado, here is Drive by Glitterfox.
Oh my god, that is so awesome! I'm like dancing around the studio here. This is a, uh, that was <laughs> great. So you guys met Aww. when um, I, I think Solange, you had moved to Long Beach, and Andrea, you were already there. Is, did I get that right? I think we moved to Long I feel Beach like we around could. roughly the same time. Oh, yeah, okay. so I think you, so too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which, I which we were in, like, full disclosure, I come from Long Beach, so it's like oh, really? that, that I, yeah, yeah, it's total, total familiar territory. But tell the story of how you guys met. I thought that was so intriguing. Well, okay, I always tell people we met at an open mic, and but Solange and yeah, Solange always we're married, so Solange always corrects me and tells that whole story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead, Solange. <laughs> we met, I always call it a lesbian party because there was only lesbians there, um, where we met at this party at Andrea's house. And that was when we first met, but we didn't really talk. Andrea had, like, a girlfriend at the time, and Andrea played was playing the banjo. And um, I definitely thought Andrea was really cute, but I didn't, I didn't talk to them at all. Um, but then we, we ended up re-meeting again. We started seeing each other around town all the time, and we kind of re-met um, at a Portfolio Coffee House, RIP. Oh, yeah. It doesn't exist anymore, but at yeah. Portfolio Coffee House, open mic. Yeah, and Solange was wearing these, like, these rainbow socks, and and I was just like, Hey, uh, what's up with those rainbow socks? And Solange responded, uh, well, probably Solange responded something cute, but then Solange immediately pretty quickly told me, Hey buddy, I've got more issues than a magazine. And I was like, I said, that's for me. Let's go. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you guys about that. Cause, um, so, um, uh, Andre, you are, and, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like a lot of the material is stuff that you have written. And so long as it seems like a lot of the material is you're the singer, which means you're the interpreter of the songs that have been written. And as a married couple, how does that emotional flow go? Because you cover some pretty heavy-duty issues in the songs. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, I – oh, you want to go? Go ahead, honey. Sorry. I was just going to say, I like, think for me, like – I spoke to this before, um, but I think that it's like not only do I experience a lot of the same like feelings as Andrea, but even if it's if it's something that I haven't experienced, like Andrea is my most favorite, closest person in the world, and so it's like I feel like I can get really close to those feelings um, just because I I love Andrea so much. You know, Aww. well, and I feel like a lot of what I write about is like I I tend to just write about whatever's going on in life, like right then. And so a lot of the stuff that I write about, like Solange is going through it, too, you know, because we've been together for so long. We're married like we're together all the time. So I think that that helps as well. We have so many shared yeah. experiences. It's, right. it's sort of a really incredible way to communicate with each other in a in a sort of sense because I mean it's always within any couple it's always I want you to feel what I'm feeling and you guys have this whole extra channel to 
play in um, with with each other's emotions and creativity and feelings together. Um, so in certain ways, that that's pretty amazing. Um, does it ever cause conflict? Oh, I think that will be one time. <laughs> I remember that, oh, really? that one song you wrote when we were living in the van. This oh, Was it This Love? Oh. It was a song called This Love that Andrea wrote in the van. That one did make me angry, but I got over it pretty quick. It was a good song. (laughs) Yeah, you were like, like, oh, yeah, buddy, I feel the same way, too. Yeah. Well, yeah, (laughs) sure. Typically, typically it it works pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because there was one song, Honey, that was – Oh, yeah. Oh, (laughs) It was like, ooh, that sounds like that came out on a bad night. Um, yeah, um, that, yeah. One, that, that was one I was going to mention, too. Of like, yeah, that one, it's like, you know, it's easy for me to sing because I, I think, Andrea, you wrote that when we were living in the van, too. And it's like, I'm like, yeah, I feel the same exact way, you know, living, living in a yeah. van yeah. Uh, for two years with your significant others. Pretty... Pretty rough. Not a lot of space. Yeah. Right. And And I mean, I think that. I was just going to say, I think that's such a, such a truth with with like relationships is like whatever I was writing, like, you know, for instance, honey, like honey, honey, tell me what you want. Like honey, just, just be kind to me. Just be kind. It's like, I think when there's a conflict in a relationship, um, it's good to remember that like whatever one side is feeling like the other side might be feeling the exact same way. And it's like Mm -hmm. Solange and I have had to work so hard on our marriage and on our relationship between the two of us, you know, to just um, get it, you know, to continue to try to get it to the healthiest place possible. And, um, you know, it's something that's just taken an incredible amount of like work and dedication on, for both of us. Yeah. And, and the, just to give, be fair for equal time, the flip side is tell me you'll be mine, which is that one mm-hmm. is like, mm-hmm. seems like came, came out of a really tender, wonderful moment. I wrote that song the first time I realized I was going to ask Solange to marry me. And so I wrote oh. that as like a proposal song. Yeah, Perfect. very yeah. sweet. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, just like and, I love uh, everything about you. <laughs> one of my favorites is is I think it was off your last EP uh, called Night, and that is mm. just so melodically beautiful, poignant, sweet. Um, um, you know, and, and like a lot of your songs, they're they're not simple emotions that you're you're writing about, you're singing about. I mean, it's um, pretty in depth. Um, yeah. Andrea, uh, uh, I wanted to ask one. you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I did actually write that one. I wrote that one. Yep. Oh. Solange wrote, wrote night. Yep. Um, stunning. Uh, just stunningly beautiful. <laughs> um, the the melody, the the words, everything together. Um, and, uh, and I think, I think it was you who, um, was defined as a psychiatric music therapist before you started doing the band. What exactly is that? 
Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So I went to college and I got a music degree with a concentration in music therapy. And um, I have like a really close family connection with like schizophrenia and very severe mental illness. And so I was just very naturally drawn to the psychiatric field. And so what that looked like, and it's, it's actually what brought me to California is I was working at a state psychiatric hospital uh, as an intern after college. And then I worked, uh, I did that like professionally for about four years as a career, but I would work in really like high security locked um, psychiatric settings with folks who were on conservatorship and, um, I'd run music therapy groups, which, you know, was like, you look at your clients and what their clinical goals are, and then you would devise interventions and activities involving music that address clinical goals for your clients. Um, so that's kind of like a, you know, Cliff's Notes version of it. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was a great fit for me for a while, but then, uh, I did have a rock band with the clients and that was like my <laughs> like just favorite thing was like the rock band and you know we'd put on events for the whole hospital and um you know the clients would play and you know and I and I just started to realize that doing the rock band with the clients and like the days when we'd have performances and I'd be setting up the PA um that those were the days that I was the happiest at work and it just and, you know, I'd spend all my lunch breaks, like, writing songs. Like, every break at work, I would go off with my guitar and write and work on new songs. And it just started to become obvious, like, where my heart really was. And my heart was really with being a songwriter and being a performer. Um, so, yeah, eventually transitioned out of that. And we bought a van and moved into it and kind of drove off into the sunset and are still really on that trip. Yeah, it's, um, I, I found it fascinating because I see even in your your current work, it's like you you go down. It's your your lyrics are not superfluous. They are they have depth behind them. They have struggle behind them. They have you know nuance. And um, in many ways, I could see them in that same genre as as thought and expression for people who are dealing with different aspects. Um, so it, 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 it wasn't a surprise. It was just sort of like really interesting that, that that's where you started and seeing how it's, it's blossomed into something that is much more accessible to a larger group of the public than just individual um, clients. So actually, Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. I, I want to sort of segue from that to a quote around your your upcoming release called TV. Um, and uh, your quote is saying, this is one of the most intensely personal songs I've ever written, so much so that it's hard to share in a lot of depth and transparency about the subject. But I can say that I was going through one of the hardest times I've ever experienced in my relationship and in my personal life, all dealing with substance issues, sobriety, and mental health challenges. I part, poured all those feelings into the song. So when I was working on the demo, it came out with this dance vibe, which is actually one of my favorite approaches in songwriting. 
take a sad song or subject that make it something you can dance to. Eventually, through a lot of therapy and intense personal work, things started getting better, and the song ended up feeling like this anthem that no matter what we're experiencing, there is a way through it. It may be hard to see or to believe in, but it is there. And uh, with your permission, I'll play TV now so we can hear what we're talking Yay. about. Thanks. Here we go. This is my favorite. Here is TV by Glitter Fox.
That um, I I I feel kind of really personally around that song because I've I come from long-term sobriety and back when I was drinking and using, I would wake up on a Sunday morning and turn on the TV and watch um, positive online or on TV ministers and just the words from the song is like, can't somebody see me sitting another day mm-hmm. lost and found? It just is like, I, I totally remember being in that place and, um, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, yeah you, you nailed it. Um, uh, what, uh, where, where did that, <laughs> I, I'm sitting here trying not to ask a question because in your quote, you said you weren't going to go into any more detail on it, <laughs> but, uh, I can't help but ask, where did the song come from? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know, something that I, you know, it's like, I don't talk about it a ton, but, but I am, I am sober and I've, I've been sober for, gosh, I think about 13 years. And, like, I'm definitely someone that, uh, I mean, yeah, my my alcoholism definitely almost killed me, like, many, many, many times. And so it's it's an intensely personal subject for me. It's, like, as someone who, who, for me, it's, like, be sober or die, basically, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it's, like, I have to always take my sobriety so seriously but then also um you know having people really really close to me who are bottoming out in their own journeys um and being like extremely close to that and like just seeing like how that affected me you know what I mean um being so close with someone with multiple people as they're bottoming out in their own journeys. And so TV was really written about both of those experiences, not only me trying to hang on to my own sobriety and recovery, but then also loving someone who is on their way to to starting their own journey of recovery, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah, I I totally relate to it. And um, I'm in the same boat you are. It's like, uh, you know, sobriety is is do or die. You know, I I cannot not be sober because I I firmly believe that will not that will be the end of me um, if I if I were not. And um, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's uh, I I always hate to share this because it, it's <laughs> uh, but I will I will have 42 years of clean and sober in March. So. Wow. So I, I I have lived I have definitely lived that, you know, that it's a life or death choice. Um so yeah, I, I hear you and thank you. Thank you for putting that out for for other people um to embrace. Um I, I kinda wanna go back to your your journey as a couple because when I last saw you, you guys were in your van and um mm. and quite happily <laughs> moving around like that. I even remember <laughs> We were like, when you guys came to to Santa Cruz, it's like, can we get you a hotel room? No, no, we're fine. We're good. And it's like, we're, we're traveling. Um, so you, uh, but you ended up in Portland, which Portland obviously seems to love you um, and have, have circled around you. Your, um, your band seems like you have taken it to another level with, um, you know, a, a more of a, rock background to it 
Um, where? Tell me where you guys are now and, and where you see yourself going from here. You want to you want to tackle that Solange? Oh man, I don't know. I was hoping you'd take it. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. You know me. I'm I'm chatty. Well, yeah, we we kind of added in band members slowly, and we really we were like incredibly picky because it's like this thing is our whole life. It's like it's our marriage. Mm-hmm. It's our dreams. It's our hopes for the future. Like it's it's everything. It's our whole world. So we really were really careful and added band members in really slowly and the first person we added was um eric stalker who is also a songwriter and um you know one night we're hanging out with him and we're like hey eric you know if you learn how to play bass you could be in our band and he called me up a week later and he was like hey andrea did, did you really mean that and we're like yeah sure dude so Next thing we knew, he'd, like, bought a bass, he bought an amp, and he was, like, learning how to play bass and learning the songs. And um, so he's been playing with us for, gosh, I think about five years now. And then last year we picked up a drummer, uh, Blaine Heinen, who is incredibly talented. And, you know, both, both of the guys are so wonderful, and they're just always down to get in the van and go to the show. You know what I mean? They're just, like – they're really, they're sweet, they're kind, they're smart. I mean, they're they're very musically gifted. Um, they're just guys that you like to hang out with. And, um, mm. yeah, that's kind of how we built the band is, like, who who do we want to hang out with? And, um, and so far that's really served us. And the sound has been able to develop so much more. And in addition to that, now we have a producer, um, Chris Funk from The Decemberists is um, – our producer and so he's been helping us develop our sound and our recordings as well so both of the tracks that you played uh chris funk was the producer on those yeah it's um you guys have always been awesome because i've been there when when you didn't have you know quite that behind you um but um yeah the 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 new sound is is just feeds right in. I mean, it fits with what you already had. I mean, just sort of augments it to to additional levels, which is 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 so very cool. Um, one of the privileges of having watched you guys live, and you know, it's like we were we were kind of in a park slash parking lot, um, and you know, makeshift stage for for Pride when you guys performed. But you pulled in the audience and just enveloped them. It was really kind of magical to see the relationship between you and the audience. I, I know this is sort of an, a kind of out there question, but what what happens for you on stage, and and how do you establish that relationship with the audience? Mm. Oh man, Solange. Hmm. Oh man! Oh God! I don't even know. Um, I actually, uh, I think it's changed a lot in like the last couple of years for me because I actually also um, I got sober recently um, in the last two and a half ish years, um, and so yeah, things changed a lot for me um, after getting sober and like. You know, I I had to learn a whole new way of, like, just, like, being okay on stage. Like, before, uh, 
getting sober, you know, I, I'd have to like have a couple drinks before I felt mm-hmm. okay. Just obviously I wasn't really able to connect, um, you know, cause I'm like numbing myself and, um, you know, now it's kind of like this energy of like, you know, take it or leave it, you know? Um, and I kind of, I just, I definitely feel like my voice is like a gift to me. Um, and so I just, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm just the one who's getting to share it, but like, it's not really coming from me, I guess. And so, I don't know. <laughs> Can I make sense? No, I think I think I think that you nailed it. And I have to say, uh, you know, like listening to how your music has evolved. Your music has always been good, but your voice is like peak. I mean, not not that it's at its top. I mean, you you are probably going to get better and better, but it certainly has your your at a high point with it right now. It is just gorgeous. Um, Thank you. And, you know, I so agree. everything that is, has, has <laughs> gone behind that, um, you know, I keep keep going. Um, and I do want to mention, I don't think I mentioned this fact specifically, but you guys were named one of Portland's best new bands. So, you know, it's not just my opinion that you're great. Other people have um, been pretty upfront about that too. So tell us about what is coming next. So you're releasing um, this new song, TV. What comes after that? Okay, uh, let's see. Yes, TV comes out October 25th. Uh, we're throwing a Halloween party festival on October 27th. That's called Glitter Fest. So if anyone's in the Pacific Northwest, I hope you'll come out. It's going to be super wild uh let's see we have another single that i'm so excited about i love this song it's called it's always over and it's a love song um i'm a big fan i'm really happy with how that one turned out uh that's going to come out early december and then we just recorded three more singles and those are scheduled for early 2024 oh actually uh the next uh single that comes out in this in December, when I said it's always over, we're actually releasing a Basque song as well at the same time because Solange is French Basque, and so we recorded a Basque song. Um, so that's mm-hmm. going to come out at the same time. And then, yeah, we have three more singles coming out early 2024 and a full-length album that will be coming out in 2024. And then Excellent. lots of shows. <laughs> oh, that, that yeah. I mean, I'm excited. And and plus, anybody listening, if they can catch you in person, you know the magic is there. So don't don't shy away from that. Even though listening to the recordings mm-hmm. is, is awesome as well. Um, let's do some house clipping. Where can they get the music? Because I noticed on your website you have um, at least one of the CDs is is a full length CD, but on um, iTunes in particular, it is only five of the the ten songs. So where where can people get all of you? Yeah, the website's a great place to go, glitterfox.org. Uh, we've got, you know, our two two albums that we've put out, um, and one of them is full length. Uh, the, the, it's called Fringe. And then an EP uh, that's called Night. Uh, yeah, those are both available. And then we're on Spotify, Apple Music, all the streaming services, 
Um, and then on social media, pretty much everything is Glitter Fox Band. So if you just search Glitter Fox Band on Facebook, Instagram, all those good things, um, that's where you'll find us. And that is awesome. Well, we are running out of time. We're down to our last few minutes. Um, what haven't I asked that we should talk about? Um, let's see. I don't know. We haven't asked you any questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an open book. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I like that about you. Yeah. Let's see. Um, I don't know. What, what, what were you most excited to talk to us about today? When I put it together, I was really excited to, to connect with you guys just because uh, of having been on a stage with you, you know, not at the same time, but, you know, sharing that, that venue. Um, and so that gave me a little more, I don't know, familiarity with, with you guys having, you know, seen the reality of you. Um, so that, that was cool. And quite frankly, also just seeing where you guys have, have developed through, you know, there was a pandemic in between the last time I saw you and now. Um, so just really excited for you. And I've mm-hmm. listening to the new stuff. It was like, wow, you know, it, it just mm-hmm. absolutely captivating. And obviously, um, a lot of the themes that you sing about are, one's near and dear to my heart as well. So uh, mm. just connected on all that. But, uh, yeah. And generally when I, when yeah. I do this, it's, it's, I just love, I'm about uniqueness. So I love hearing the uniqueness of each of the artists that I talk to and what they bring. Um, like last week was uh, Sophie B. Tucker, which um, you guys would get along super well with if you ever – Cross paths. Um, I think there's a, uh, a crossover heart space between your work and hers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you said but, Sophie yeah. Hawkins, right? Was your guest last yeah. week? Yeah. I wish you could have seen my face when I heard that. When you were like, Sophie B. Hawkins last week, my jaw dropped to the floor. I was so excited because I remember Aww. like, being in the nineties and like listening to like, damn, I wish I was your lover. And like those, that, I mean, that song specifically was like a song that like helped me to like, to come out as gay. Like, honestly, like Mm -hmm. I owe such a huge debt to Sophie B. Hawkins. I, I really mean it. Catch the show or the, the podcast is online. My conversation with her, you will love it. And don't mean to be oh. self-promoting on that, but, but definitely listen to that and catch her new album because I, I love it as well. It's great music, 10, ten great new songs. And unfortunately, cool. that yeah. is all the time we have today. Um, you guys are, are golden, wonderful, and I'm, I was really thrilled just being able to connect with you again. Um, and uh, folks, listen to the new stuff. Get the new new album when it comes out. Um, you will not be sorry. You'll be dancing around like crazy, and um, it'll touch your heart on many, many levels. Um, and that's it for today for Rated LGBT Radio. We'll be back again next mm-hmm. week. Um, have no clue what we're going to talk about then, but it'll be something great. Um, and we will look forward to speaking to you then. Bye, everyone. You've been Bye. listening to Rated LGBT Radio. Bye.